Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. I grew up, I don't know about you, I grew up hearing lots of preacher jokes and teases. Preachers would get up in the pulpit and tell jokes on a regular basis, and they'd tell the same jokes over and over again. And the amazing thing to me was that every time they would tell the same joke, they'd get a laugh. They'd laugh. The whole congregation would laugh, and it was the same joke that they'd heard a thousand times. And I don't know if it was just a courteous laugh or, or what it was, just because they felt sorry for his lack of sense of humor. I don't know what it was, but I, I, I made a commitment years ago that I was so tired of those jokes I would never tell them. But maybe they're old enough now that they're new, kind of like my glasses. I got new glasses, and the first thing out of my wife's mouth after she, after she finally said, I think they're the right ones for you, was they make you look like my dad when in the 1970s. And I went, do I really want to look like my wife's dad? Does that really achieve the ends that I want? I mean, I, I like her kissing me, but I'm not sure she's going to kiss me as much if I have glasses and make her think of her dad. And, but, you know, old things become new. I just hope that leisure suits don't come back. I hope that green pants with pink shirts with little alligator symbols on them don't come back. That's an error I'd like to forget. And the biggest error I'd like to forget, I hope mauve carpet never comes back because I never want to live again in a Pepto-Bismol house. So, preachers would often get up before they talked. And they'd say this, what does it mean for a preacher to take their watch off? Or in today's language, what does it mean for a preacher to set his iPhone on the table or for the countdown clock to hit zero? And the answer was always, means absolutely nothing. Because I'm not going to stop. When the time says no, we're just going to keep talking. And the other tease that they'd always get a laugh from was, they joke about how many times they could say finally or in conclusion before they actually were on their last point. Well, today, I promise, we are really at the last message of our Ephesians series. This is really the end of it today. And we're going to take uh, a step back and kind of take a big picture look because we've been spending a lot of time going through in detail, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through Ephesians for a long time this year. And we're going to take some look at some of the big picture ideas to hopefully embed them in a way that helps our lives uh, change in a positive way today. Now, the overall central point of all of Ephesians is actually a point that uh, challenges greatly our American culture. The overall central point of Ephesians is that individual private faith is not a Christian concept. Faith is all about relationship. And it starts in verse 1, or chapter 1, where Paul talks about identity. Our identity is wrapped up in whose family we are a part of. We're adopted as children of God. In chapter 2, he talks and develops the idea of how we want grace in our lives, but the only way we ever experience grace is to be committed to long-term healthy relationships because grace can only be experienced when we give it instead of running from difficulty in relationships, when we stay connected to people. In chapter 3, he goes on to develop the idea more, and he ends with this statement. He says, if we learn to live in the kind of relationship that he's teaching us here, we can expect immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine in life. How amazing is that? 
chapter 4, he starts talking about unity and he develops that idea and he talks very practically about behaviors that we need to put off that destroy unity and behaviors that we need to put on that create unity. And then in chapter 5 and early chapter 6, he gets into the discussion of the most powerful relationship drives that we have in life. He talks about sex, he talks about ambition, and he talks about the closest relationships we have in all of our life in a very practical way. He addresses marriage, he addresses family, he addresses parenting, children, and work. He addresses all the closest relationships. And then he ends the whole thing by talking about the reality of the battle of life, this battle of, of good overcoming evil. And last week we kind of summarized some of that, and we could just summarize some of that today by saying that the lesson of last week was that he gives us this armor. He gives us all these things to establish an identity and to strengthen us in life, but it's really easiest for us to not put that armor on. And even in the little things, to not pick it up and not get so practiced in picking up that identity of being loved, that identity of being provided for by God, that identity of being secure in God, we can get so not used to picking it up that it doesn't become a part of us. And therefore, when the arrows start to fly in the big battles of life especially, we can tend to fall prey to blaming God rather than the fact that we have not become used to living in the armoring of our souls like he asks us to learn to do. And the result in life when we don't do that is that we experience far less victory than God intends. And what did the God just what did what did Paul just tell us about God's intent for us? He said his intent for us is to experience immeasurably more than all we could ask or think. Now, next I want to take a few moments to sharpen more specifically a really big picture thing that Paul's talking about, actually all throughout Ephesians. He touches it in almost every chapter. And it's, the reason I want to talk about this is because if we don't settle this issue as a reality in our lives, it's, we're going to continue to fight against it. Uh, we're going to fight against reality, and it's going to be the same in our faith like as if we denied gravity and we jumped off cliffs and wondered why we were getting hurt all the time. And at first, this reality comes across sounding negative, maybe even depressing to us. But without settling this reality, Paul's lesson to us is that we miss a tremendous amount of the positive God wants to bring in our life. And it's first stated in Ephesians 1, verse 13. And it says this, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And here is that reality put as succinctly as I know how to say it. This life, as we know it now, is a life of redemption in process that will not be completed until either we die or Jesus comes back. And in theology, we talk about this in some terms about, we talk about the now and the not yet. The fact that the kingdom of God is interrupting our world now and we can expect God to be bringing good things in our life now, but the not yet, it's not yet complete, it's unfinished. So practically how we experience that as followers of Christ is we see His redemptive power coming in by, the, by His Holy Spirit and we see real healings. We see people getting physically healed. We see people getting emotionally healed. We see, we see relationships getting healed. We see cultures and, and, and peoples and divides in culture getting healed in very real ways. And yet at the same time, 
We also see some people who don't get healed and they die. We see war and we see divides that continue and we, we have to deal with them, maybe even for our whole life. And Paul takes this idea throughout all of Ephesians and gets to chapter 6 and sums it up with, the, with this lesson. The battle we are in never ends in life. We need to armor up and fight this battle every single day. You see, it's not like World War II where uh, I was watching a documentary and they were talking about how a lot of the bomber pilots, B-17 bomber pilots, had a maximum quota on the number of missions they would fly before they were either uh, retired or sent back to be a trainer. Why? Because of battle fatigue. And when we look around at our world today, almost all wars that we see, there's a time of war, and then they end, and there's a time of peace. Not all of them, but most of them. And our expectations for faith are very similar to that, aren't they? We kind of go through and we kind of say, okay, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to expect maybe a lot more intense battles maybe early on, but eventually I'm going to get to this place where I'm good enough and everything's done well enough that I'm going to be on happy, easy street. And when that doesn't happen, we either think God's not happy with us or we question God's goodness. And the point of this whole reality of the now and the yet, not yet is not to depress us because the other thing that Paul makes abundantly clear all throughout Ephesians is God's power is more than capable, far above anything. The armor is strong enough and decisive enough that we can expect to live strong. And we can expect to see much good and much victory in our life. But the point is, when we don't settle this worldview of redemption in process, we're going to end up falling prey to placing the responsibility for evil and sickness and cultural sin and injustice at the feet of the wrong people. We're going to put it at God's feet instead of at Satan's feet or the choices of humanity or really wrestle with the fact that my sin, your sin, a leader's sin of our nation might actually affect generations, maybe even whole cultures, maybe even for centuries. And sin is never an individual thing. Instead, we tend to blame evil and pain at the feet, uh, and we put, the, put it at the feet of God. And we start to question God's goodness. And, and I understand all the arguments around this now and the not yet thing. I mean, I, I've, I've had them myself. I mean, we ask ourselves, why didn't God just send Jesus a whole lot sooner instead of waiting so long? Or why didn't, when he sent to Jesus, he just wraps everything up all at once? Why, why does he make this time of in-between, this, this imperfect time where he's breaking in, but it's not all done? And and the reality is God's thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. And I have never heard a single argument to answer those questions that is satisfying. Have you? But the reality is nonetheless the same. We are in a time, in a type of a world that is in process. That reality holds. And within that reality, Paul says, God is extravagantly good. He's adopted us. He has guaranteed the outcome of that process for us. Guaranteed it. And see, the reason we need to settle this issue in our hearts is because we, when we don't and we start to question God's goodness, we take ourselves out of the fight. We refuse to put the armor on. I mean, why would we fight if God's not good? 
Why would we fight if God doesn't have the power to guarantee the end result? Why would we ever pick that up? We take ourselves completely out of the fight. And in order to stay engaged, we have to settle this issue and realize that life is going to be this way. That sometimes we will see miraculous healing and sometimes we won't. And that God is good in the middle of all of it. But let me just confess something. For many years, I stayed primarily just focused on that reality, that now and the not yet reality, and the reality that life is going to be a constant battle. And you know what? It led me to exhaustion. It led me to fatigue. And it's going to lead you to the same place. I mean, the reality is we're probably all there anyway, right? Because whether you believe that reality or not, life is tough, and it leads us all to exhaustion. I mean, think about your life all the way from childhood on. When I think of my elementary and teen years, I think about being tired. I mean, I was running like crazy all the time. And, and, you know, as kids, you want to stay up late. Why do you want to stay up late? You want to stay up late because that's what the cool people, that's what the adult people do. That's, what, that's when all the fun happens because that's when the big people get to stay up and play. And so we stay up late. Not that we don't want to, but we're, we're tired, but we do anyway because we're trying to wrestle with this sense of identity, who we are, and we're trying to figure out this relationship thing and what happiness means and boy and girl relationships and what it means to be liked and disliked and all that kind of stuff. And then our 20s come along and, man, I don't know about you, but 20s are a blur to me. I, it's like the 80s for me, and I, I, I don't remember any music from the 80s. I just, uh, just, it's just a blur. I mean, you're, you're working your way through school. You're just working insane hours, and then you're trying to navigate decisions about marriage and new jobs and financial pressure and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking, boy, it would be really nice to turn 30. And I turned 30, we had our first kid. And man, we still think, even though he's in college now, we still think he's the most adorable thing. But man, when he was a baby, he was the most colicky kid I think I've ever known in my entire life. And it, was, it felt like no sleep for 12 months. I mean, just, he wouldn't sleep. He, couldn't, he wouldn't take a nap unless you were holding him. And it was just, it was just tiring. Tiring. And in your 30s, what's happening? Your career is starting to take off. You're probably having some of your first successes in life. And, you're, and you've, you've got this stress of learning to be a good leader and learning to, to, to take those promotions and succeed at them. And you're starting to have more of a dream and define more of a dream for what your marriage is going to be like, what your career is going to be like, and what your community success is going to be like. And you live that whole time sleep-deprived, up, night with, up nights with kids. I used to think, oh, how I want my kids to grow up so I can sleep again. That doesn't happen for, well, it hasn't happened yet. If you're unmarried during that time, what's probably going on for you is your career is consuming you. You're having probably a lot of pressure and success there and maybe even enjoying it. Maybe not, but still maybe trying to figure it out. But the other aspect that's going on in your life is you're exhausted trying to figure out this relationship thing and and what my dream for marriage and family is or isn't going to be and wondering at times whether that's even going to happen and it leaves you exhausted. And the 40s hit and what goes on? Your career is going better. Your dream is a bit closer to being realized. And you've got this increased pressure to really get to where you want to be. At the same time that your kids are getting older. And you all of a sudden realize, man, marriage, what I dreamed of in my 20s, this is not it yet. And you're trying to figure that whole thing out. And 
And you learn that life is about being a taxi driver. I mean, your kids are going all over the place, and we get to celebrate cell phones and laptops because at least you get to sit in the car working while you're waiting for them in a parking lot somewhere, right? And in those few down moments that you actually get, you're starting to wrestle more intensely with, I, th- I thought I'd be a better husband. I thought I'd be a better dad. I thought I'd be a better worker. I thought I'd be a better person in life. And it just exhausts you. And I remember being young and looking at my parents in their 40s and 50s and thinking, man, they're old and they're tired all the time. And now I'm turning 50 and I turned 50 a little while ago and I understand the tiredness of fast approaching empty nest and college expenses and and career, you get the pressure of your career supposed to be at the place where you're at your peak. You're, you know, you're supposed to be at your peak or very near it. And, and all of a sudden you start having this pressure that, man, if I'm not there, then everything has to be right. i got to make the right decision the next time around because I can see the end coming. I can see the peak and being on the other side coming all too fast. And we're dealing with dreams that we've realized and we're dealing with dreams that still feel out of just just out of our touch. And frankly, we're dealing with dreams that are crashed and burned in our life. I mean, maybe it's been divorce, maybe it's been something else. All the while, we're facing increased responsibility and intense logistics of navigating schedules of older family. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm actually pretty glad that school came back for the fall. How many of you are glad that school's back in session? I mean, the Ottoman household, yeah? The Ottoman household this summer was five people with ten jobs navigating it through two cars. It was just a really busy summer. You see, the older we get, we're still exhausted even beyond that. I mean, we got grandkids and we got grandnieces and nephews and we're struggling with keeping up with the demands of technology change and information change and we wonder if we can keep up. And exhaustion is something we struggle with in every decade of our lives. So here's the question. Is the exhaustion we feel primarily because of our work and our family demands and the intensity of pace... Or is the primary facet of exhaustion something else in our life? I mean, life, we know, requires many things. It requires a ton of things to pursue a stable career. It requires a ton of things to be a fa- a good, have a good family and to, to even just care for yourself and stay physically fit. It all requires a ton of things. And typically, when things aren't working as well as we want in life, our, our, our hardworking act, answer is to work harder, Right? And we do our best. To do our best, then we live life stretched and exhausted. And, and every one of us, every one of us has been there, right? We've all experienced or are experiencing or will experience a dream that just remains out of reach. We just can't get to that place we want in life. Or maybe even a dream that's shattered through divorce or a career that you thought was going to be it and all of a sudden it takes a hard right turn and that's no longer an option and difficult relationships. And when that happens, we do our best to do better. And the older you get, the more the pressure becomes to get things right this time around. And the weight of life increases, doesn't it? So the question again, is it just the pace of life 
that causes the exhaustion for us or is it something else? Is it just the fact that life is hard and circumstances are, uh, happen and, and we thought it would be different and, uh, or is it more than that? There's a guy named Robert Capoon, an author and theologian who just recently died, who wrote this. He said, Life is a web of trials and temptations, but only one of them will ever be fatal. The temptation to think that it is by further, better, and more aggressive living that we can have life. See, when we start to feel exhausted, we try to start to perform ourselves out of something. We're trying to perform ourselves out of that into something else. And that that gives us a sense of accomplishment, that gives us a a feeling of meaning. And Paul's closing comments in Ephesians today that we're going to look at now in just a second are really easy to overlook. Because at first, most of us, when we read his closing comments, we think it's just a preacher theologian's really long, wordy way of saying sincerely. Why can't you just say sincerely in one word instead of saying sincerely in two sentences, right? But it's actually more than that. It's, it's what he's doing is he's giving us the causes of our exhaustion in four words. He's summing up the, his whole letter in these four words. He's summarizing the entire gospel in these four words. And he's summarizing the quality of life that we can live as followers in these four words. Let's read it. Chapter 6, verse 23. It says, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. What are we actually driven to attain that leads us to exhaustion? It's these most core of all human longings. We're trying to find that place of peace. We're trying to find that place of love, that place of faith or trust. We're trying to find that sense of living in grace. Now, you may not have ever put your exhaustion into those terms, right? You may never have thought of that. But the reality of our exhaustion has a lot more to do with what's going on in our inner world around these four pursuits, these four words, than it has to do with our outward reality. I mean, think about it. How do we wear ourselves out working for love? Well, in dating and marriage, it's fairly plain, right? We, we think, if I can improve myself, if I can just figure out a way to be a nice enough person or attractive enough, then maybe I will get the love that I need to make me happy, right? In work, we think, if I just am disciplined enough, just hardworking enough, just intelligent enough in the way I manage my time and, and lead, then I can maybe get the affirmation that I need and therefore feel like I'm worthy of the love of my parents or my boss. Or in parenting, we go down this path a lot and we think if, if I'm a better parent, if I just listen better, then, then my kids would love me more and, 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 my, and I would be happy, right? Or maybe if you've been married for years and, and you're underwhelmed with your marriage or maybe even struggling in your marriage, you get to the point where you start to say, now I'm going to really get serious about this. I'm going to get really serious about this relationship so I can get the love out of it that I need, Right? How do we wear ourselves out to get faith or trust? Well, that one's actually pretty easy. We talk about it all the time. We say what? Trust is earned, right? If I work hard enough and I clean up my act and I perform well enough so that then others will trust me or I will view myself as a person who 
can be faithful and trusted myself. So we work really hard to be trustworthy, and we demand trustworthiness of other people. How do we wear ourselves out for peace in life? Uh, We get trapped a lot of times, I know I do, and if we build enough financial security, we just get our house in order enough there, then I can live a carefree life. My family can have peace. Or we think, if I can change the people around me, or if I can change myself enough so that I no longer have conflict, then I can experience peace. So we live life either avoiding conflict or we avoid the people who create conflict in our life, thinking that if we can create a world where there's enough control, then I'll have peace. We even joke about being control freaks, right? See, when we feel the pressure to attain these things, it's exhausting. The exhaustion isn't just because the world is a broken place and, and we know that, that lasting, good, healthy relationships are hard. I mean, we get that, right? We understand that. But the primary cause of our exhaustion is something that's going on inside of us. We're exhausted not because of the outside, but because we're trying to save ourselves. We're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to attain these longings that continually stay just out of our reach. And we know that some of the most successful people in life are the most unhappy. I mean, Robin Williams' suicide reminded us of that this last week, right? I remember sitting uh, in a restaurant uh, when I was working on the West Coast with a a friend. This friend was highly successful. He, uh, in his career, uh, was a part of the USC uh, team that won four College World Series. He was a starter all four years. He went on for a huge successful career managing the L.A. office of one of the most prestigious companies in the nation. Uh, His friends were a who's who list of anybody who was a big businessman in the Southwest, and he worked himself trying to pursue these things to death almost. I mean, literally, just crushed his health. And when I met him, he was on a journey trying to figure out Jesus and follow Jesus. And I was at dinner with him and his pastor one night and listening to him talk about how in the midst of all this success, he constantly was asking the question, is this all there is? And even when I knew him and was talking with him, he was wrestling with the journey of life and faith, the, the, the idea that there are, re, there are these reality things, these things that are important things to us, this attainment of a place where we feel and live in this sense of peace or we're loved or we live in this place of trust and faith or we have this grace and we can't quite get there. And when we can't quite get those things, those things become whips to us. They drive us to pursue harder or... They seem so far out of reach that we get hopeless over ever feeling those things and having those things in our life and we go to despair. Or what many of us do, we can't stand either one of those feelings, so we go to escape and denial or maybe even addiction in those areas, right? Paul paints a picture in Ephesians 1 of a more solid basis for our identity, Because those are the things we want to be a part of our identity. We want to be loved. We want to be peaceful, don't we? And he says in chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, You are chosen by God. Each and every one of you are chosen by God. It doesn't matter. Even if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, He chooses you. And He doesn't choose you like choosing teams and picking teams on the playground. He adopts you. 
as his very son or as his very daughter. And he's very realistic. He understands how broken you are, how imperfect you are. But even in that, even in understanding those failures and flaws, verse 5 says that his choice of you brings great pleasure to him. He smiles when he looks at you, even in the midst of all of the things you are messing up in and feeling inferior or imperfect in. He smiles at you when he looks at you. And it goes on to describe how he lavishes grace and every empowerment in line with this great good pleasure that he has on us when he thinks of us. And and then he promises at the very end that he's going to guarantee absolutely that everything in your life in the end will turn out right. And he guarantees that by giving himself to you, his Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing that. So you can have more than just words, more than just thoughts. You can have an experience of him making that comfort, that peace known to you. And then Paul goes where most of us go when we would hear something like that. See, if we hear that good of stuff about us, we struggle to believe it. And we start thinking around the path of, oh, I'm, not a, I'm not deserving that. And we start thinking about, I could never be spiritual enough. I could never be good enough to be that. And then we get exhausted in life. In chapter 2, Paul anticipates that. As I'm sure the reason is, he probably struggled with it himself. And he says this, he says, As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. I don't know about you, but when I'm exhausted, struggling with the idea of how I'm falling short in far too many areas, whether it's as a husband or whether it's a parent or whether it's as a person or whether it's a leader and falling short, I feel dead inside when I'm exhausted trying to figure all that stuff out. He says... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And I read that and I just go, oh, come on. We still feel this way all too often, don't we? When we eat comfort food, we're gratifying something that's missing in us. When we, when we drink too much, we're gratifying something. When we lose it with our kids, even though we don't want to, even though we want to be better, there's still something internally driving us at that moment. When we struggle with pornography or, or sex in ways that is unhealthy for us, it's gratifying cravings of the flesh. And like the rest, Paul goes on to say, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And internally, we all say yes to that. I mean, why is it that we get angry when we don't perform, when we don't achieve these things? We get angry at ourselves. We get angry at life. We get angry at God. We know that is a reality. We understand that that's really what we deserve. Internally, we know that. It's a normal reaction for us to agree with that. It represents justice. And then the text goes on and says, but... And it's the biggest but in all of history, and I know that sounds kind of funny. But it's so absolutely contrary what Paul says next. Anything we would ever expect to be said. He says, but because of his great love for us, this great love that he still has for us, even when he sees us so realistically, 
Even when he sees us as deserving wrath, how shocking of a love is this? He refers to it as a great love, and he says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace, verse 8, you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we try to find what we really want in life by striving to find peace, striving for faith, trying to earn trust, trying to earn love and strive for love and trying to find that place of grace and earn it. And Paul says we can't. And we don't. And he says it's already been given to us. It's already been given to us, which is the armor lesson last week. We cannot put it on, but it's already been given to us. We already have it, and it can't be taken away by anyone either. You see, we so often live life trying to find peace. And Paul is saying, We need to learn to live from peace. It's a huge difference between us striving to find it and receiving the gift already given and just putting it on and learning to experience. You see, when we live life trying to find peace, love, faith, and grace, we believe we have the power to get it. Brandon Manning, who died last year, I'm quoting dead people today, taught us so much about grace. And he says this when he writes from his his deathbed. He says, I have said countless times that losing our illusions are difficult because illusions are the stuff we live by. We believe we are invincible until cancer comes knocking, or we believe we are making a comeback until we stumble down the stairs. And what he's saying to us is only when we really realize that we are powerless to even ever achieve these things, only then do we receive God's gift given and we can live from peace, from grace, from love, and our striving ceases. See, we get to live not in the grayness of never doing enough, of things always being out of our reach, the tiredness of, try, of mind, soul, and body that comes from trying to get these. Instead, we get to live in the full color of walking in the wonderful good works God has planned in advance for us to do. We get to live from a place of peace, fully loved, from a place of grace fully received and the compassion that overflows out of our hearts because of that and the joy and all the peace that comes out of that. See, so when you have a major decision or a crisis come up, do you seek peace by dealing with the situation to restore peace? Or do you take the time to let God come to you and live from peace that he's already given to you in the middle of it? See, I think that's the reason Martin Luther is famously quoted saying uh, he got up one day to a really, really highly stressful day. And he got up and said to the people around him, he said, today is so full and busy that I will pray three hours instead of two hours. 
Whether we ever pray three hours instead of two hours is not the point. When you are worried about decisions, do you receive God's peace by meditating on his goodness and his promises so that you live from peace in that moment instead of trying to find a peace in the resolution of everything that is going to constantly be elusive? See, that's the gospel. Instead of punishment, instead of punishment and condemnation that we all deserve, God loves, God gives, God forgives, God empowers, God adopts you as his own, into his own family. God plans, plans for you well in advance, really meaningful, good things that your life gets to be a part of. So when you face transition or something makes your future or your purpose uncertain, you get to live from peace. You get to live from love, from faith, and from a grace that completely changes the quality of your life in the midst of the battle that is ongoing. And because we stay engaged in the goodness of God in the battle, we get to experience far more victory, far more good, than we do normally. If you've never received that, then your invitation today is to receive that kind of love. The invitation is there. He has chosen you already, and He smiles at you even in the midst of everything you've done already. And if you're here today and you've already made that decision to follow Jesus, then really what it comes down to today is the central theme of the Holy Spirit that Paul has throughout Ephesians. We can think about love and peace and meditation and all these things like anybody else in the world does, but we all know that love and positive self-talk and telling us that we can live from peace and, and all those meditation things are really pretty hollow in the face of the really big things in life, aren't they? But not so here, because these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is inviting us to expand our understanding of how the Holy Spirit wants to relate to each and every one of us. So that when we meditate on Him, it's not just meditating on promises given, it is also an experience of the Holy Spirit. So as we continue to worship, would you just invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life and say, God, just, you can even pray it with me, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you come and help expand my ability every day to experience you, to understand you? so that I can live from these gifts that you've already given of peace, love, grace, and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.